I think I just wanted to say that I always feel like the when the day that the Mong strawberry stand opens in the spring it feels like a holiday to me. Like it's as good as Christmas <laughs> and the best thing about living in Merced. That's Don Truck, and she's the producer of a radio play called Hours to Lose, which is at the center of today's episode. She told me there's absolutely nothing sweeter than the strawberries grown by Hmong farmers in her hometown, which is about an hour north of Fresno in California's Central Valley. It turns out those strawberry stands that Don loves so much have a very unique place in the history of California's Central Valley. Janaki Jagannath, a community organizer who worked in the valley, put their story in context for me a while back. I think about this whole historical trajectory of the valley. I think, of course, about Del Rey and Sanger, because when I drive through that area, you see every part of the history laid out before you. There's a community there that was set up in the 1920s by desperate migrants. You see the Palm Wonderful factory, which is essentially the 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 great 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 grandson of the huge pomegranate um, production that began as a small scale family operated. Uh, operation in the 1950s and then nested in the middle of that you see this relatively recent and strange um, movement of small-scale farmers of um, small-scale Hmong American farmers who are growing you know what until quite recently was called quote-unquote oriental vegetables people that are growing bok choy and choy sum and moringa and taro and um, okra leaf and sour leaf and rosel, interesting crops that don't have very much market in Del Rey to a predominantly Latino community. So they end up selling to like the farmers market in the Bay Area, to Asian gro- Asian grocery stores in the city of Fresno and in the Bay. Um, so it's a sort of interesting setup there, in the sense that you have that huge history and industrialized history there with the stark patches of green that have popped up in the last 20, 30 years. In today's episode, we're going to explore the stories of the people who cultivate those patches of green. Ildi Carlisle Cummins, and this is the Cal Ag Roots Podcast. Cal Ag Roots is unearthing stories about important moments in the history of California farming in order to shed some light on current issues in agriculture. Check it out at www.agroots.org. That's agroots.org. going to hear today is a radio play, Ours to Lose, about a Hmong farming family that was performed live at our Borderlands event. We're in the middle of a series based on that event, and you can listen back to other performances from Borderlands in podcasts five and six. We're not afraid at Calag Roots here to feature works of art on the podcast as ways of exploring history. I'm thinking back to the poems we heard at Borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley in podcast five. But this play, Ours to Lose, was written using a unique process that I think is important to mention. It's based on a series of interviews with actual farmers in the valley. Their stories were combined and fictionalized, and the result is a powerful and really revealing portrait of Hmong farmers 
that's based on research. After the play, you'll hear a kind of audio portrait of a Hmong American farm kid turned anthropologist, Lillian Dao Chao Chai, who will bring the fiction of the play into reality. She talks about the history of Hmong farmers in the Central Valley and about how the play's themes echo her own life. I sat with her on a 106-degree day at her family's farm, and the heat seemed to have absolutely no effect on her brain activity. She had incredibly interesting things to say, like this. And so for the Hmong who have always been countryless and in a sense landless, um, farming is the only way to own or mark your place. So be sure to stay tuned after the play for that. And a quick note about the audio for the Hours to Lose play. Unfortunately, one of the actor's mics cuts out for just a few beats at the beginning of the story. Please bear with it. I think the play is powerful and worth it. So up next, um, we have a radio-style performance of a wonderful play called Hours to Lose, written by Yia Lee. And um, there are a, a crew of actors. I'm going to welcome them to the stage. And um, the, the wonderful reading of the performance also comes with um, sort of old-style radio sound effects here. So you're going to get to hear <laughs> a wonderful play performed with some, with some sound as well. So um, enjoy and welcome. Son, Nothing. Why are you awake so early? Why are you taking pictures? Because the light is different at dawn. The sun is more angled, so the color of everything changes. It's more rich, more gold. See? I guess. Hmm. Never mind. But our farm is very beautiful, Dad. Have I ever told you that? No, you don't like the farm. You don't like the work. Yeah, the work sucks. <laughs> it's so much hard labor. Well, I'm glad you're saving enough money to buy a tractor, though. That'll save us hours of time and sweat. But yeah, the farm is very beautiful. Okay. I'll go get dressed. I think our son is crazy. Why? Because he's always liked people, but yesterday he told me he hated them. And he's always hated farm work, but today he tells me the farm is beautiful. Oh? Also, he had his camera with him again. He thinks I don't notice, but he's always playing with it. Why? So he can take pictures? But why? Because he wants to confuse us? I think he wants to work in the fields again today. Do you want to work the stand? No. You should not be in the fields until your feet stop hurting. Go open the stand and sit down when you can. I'm getting old. What are you doing? I'm working. With a camera? I just wanted to take some pictures, Mom. But I'll still pick a lot of strawberries. So don't worry. Oh my gosh, I forgot how hard it is to be a farmer. All my muscles hurt, my bones. It's so hot. What are you doing now? 
I'm taking a break. When are we going to eat lunch? Not for another two hours. Can we eat sooner? No, you know, farming wouldn't be so hard if it wasn't so hot. It's the heat that makes everything miserable. It is not as hot as last summer. I don't know how you and dad do it. Somebody's got to do the work. Well, I can't do this every day. I don't know how I used to do it on my summer vacations. When I was a kid, I wish you had normal jobs. Anything but farming. Oh, your father always wanted to farm. Yeah, but what about you? Did you want to farm? Didn't you want a different job? No, I always farmed my whole life. If I wasn't farming, I'll be dreaming about farming. But why? It's so hard. What else can I do? My English is poor. I don't have an American education. Besides, farming is good work. It's so hard. You don't think I won't knuckle on my head for whining so much? Tell me why you have your camera. I just wanted to bring it. Don't take another picture of me. I don't know why you always do that. Why not? No one else takes pictures of you and dad. They're probably all bad pictures because you never say, eat, all, bake, cheese, or smile. <laughs> Mom, I don't take those kind of photos. Okay, pick one more bucket and then we'll go eat. Yes. Hello? Hello, hello. Hi, Uncle. Oh, you're trying to call my parents? They're right here. Oh, oh, my dad? Oh, yeah, he probably forgot to charge his phone again. I'll find him. Hang on. Hello? Long, where you gonna? Your wife kicked you out again? If you want to, you can stay at my house. For as long as you like. Tell me, Long, why did your wife kick you out this time? Casino? Three months rent? You lost three months rent? Why do you always gamble when you know you will lose? Where are you gonna live when you can't pay for your house for three months and they kick your family out? Long, I do not have money for three months rent. Maybe, maybe I can give you half. But, but dad, what about the tractor? That's all I can do. I know he's your brother, but he always does this. He always asks for money. And you've been saving up for this tractor. You wanted one for such a long time now. But he has young children, and they do not deserve to lose their home because of their father's well, mistakes. Well, he should know better. He's a grown man with a family. And he still asks you for money to fix his mistakes, like a little boy. Life was hard for us growing up. He never learned to like himself. He's not a bad man. 
if he comes, long can stay in Bao's room. As for the tractor, it would have been nice not to do everything by hand. But that is how we've always done it, by bending our backs to the work. And maybe we'll get a tractor the year after next. I know what you're thinking, Tang, but he is my brother. And when we had nothing, he was the only one who ever made me smile. A tractor would have been nice for us, but my brother is important to me. Come, let's go eat. I sold a lot of strawberries today. It was very busy. Jean, come on, see. Remember when we first started and I didn't know how to drive the tractor I borrowed? <laughs> All the rows were crooked. You looked at them and you laughed and laughed <laughs> and we had to work on them crooked. Remember when it held our third years and destroyed all the strawberries? We lost all our, most of our profit that year, and we had to eat rice and green beans for months. That was the only time the kids complained because we didn't have any strawberries to pick. Remember when our kids thought they could improve farming by bringing water guns? They thought the water would cool them off, but they just started a shooting war. We hardly picked anything that day. All we did was laugh. You think about the times when we didn't have any money, when we had nothing to eat but rice, when we were waiting for better times to come. It wasn't until you look back later, then you realize that the good times were always there. Yes. Do you think Tang will want the farm? He grew up here. He had a good life here. He had to work hard, but he still had a good life. Do you think he will be a good farmer? All he did today was complain. But he told me our farm was beautiful. None of the children have ever told me that. Was he taking um, pictures? Yes. I don't think he wants to be a farmer. Look at this. This is his magazine. He has a lot of them in his room, too. So? They are photography magazines. You think he wants to do photography? But it's not a real job. It's like art like drawing or something. Very nice, but no money. I think he takes good pictures. Of course you do. He takes pictures of you. <laughs> he always taken pictures of the farm ever since he was little and saved money for a camera. He's taken pictures of everything and everyone. Yes, but that was just for fun. He could probably work as a full-time farmer and take pictures when he's not so busy. Have you asked him if he wants the farm? No, he'll probably say no. When we can't work on it anymore, we can always rent the land to another farmer. But it won't be the same. No, I'm going inside. Come in soon. It's a good thing you can help your mother and I on the farm, Tang. We are getting older now. You look the same to me but our bodies do not feel the same. Oh yeah, my body doesn't feel the same either. <laughs> and I've only worked on the farm for two days. Tang, do you want the farm when your mother and I can no longer work? No, I mean, I don't know. Why are you asking me? I thought you'd give it to older brother. But he has no interest in farming. Dad. I don't really have any interest in farming either. But you said this farm is beautiful. It is. It's very beautiful. 
Maybe you never paid much attention to me because there was a lot of us growing up here. But I always thought it was beautiful. That's part of why I always take pictures of it. Remember when we used to grow the orange trees over there? In the winter, sometimes it was so cold that the morning mist would rise from the ground and swirl around like ghosts. The oranges would be frosted over and they'd look like strange fruits from a different world. I took a lot of pictures of those fruits. Too bad they got sick and you had to cut them down. I miss those oranges too. We never grew enough to sell. They were just for our family and they were delicious. Are you sure you don't want the farm? I don't think so. So you want to take pictures instead? I knew you would talk about it like that. Yes! Yes, I want to take pictures. I'd have to go to school again. Go to an art school so I can get better. But I, I don't understand. You want this to be your work? Dad, I don't really understand why you and Mom became farmers. But you like it. And I like photography. I'm not bad, you know. Here, I'll show you. These are very good. Do you really like them? No. <laughs> Why do you take this picture? Your mother looks sad. You should have told her to smile. And why did you take this picture of me? I don't look good in this one either. I think they're good pictures. Really? You think we are sad looking people? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's just you work so hard. You wake up in the morning and you work until the sun goes down every day. That doesn't make me sad, son. My work is hard, but I like it. Oh, I took some happy pictures of you too, look. This was after a little rainstorm. When it ended, you went into the field to take a look at the strawberries. The light changed completely and the storm passed. It was like there was a brand new shade of blue in the sky and everything down on earth was silver and amber. You were smiling because you were happy the sun came back to dry the strawberries. I did not know the farm could look like this, like a real magazine picture. It's one of my favorites. How come you never showed it to me before? Oh, I didn't know if you'd like it. I do like it, but it's still better to be a farmer. You know, Mom, I think I always wanted to be a photographer. It seemed like a silly dream. I never admitted it to myself. But I was unhappy at school and unhappy at my job. I just wanted to be able to carry my camera around everywhere. I knew you and Dad wouldn't like it. You wanted me to be a teacher or a, a banker or a farmer. Well, teachers and bankers and farmers have an income like everybody else, not like artists. They don't even, I don't even know what artists make. I don't think most artists make money. 
Have you ever heard of a Hmong photographer? I don't know if you understand, Mom. You never had any cameras growing up. You never looked at pictures or magazines. But it's my art. I can't really explain it, but it's my dream. It's important to me, and I want to be really, really good at it. Well, whoever heard of a Hmong person with his own land? You see, in China, our great-great-grandfathers were kicked off their lands, and they moved down south to Laos. In Laos, your grandfathers were kicked off their land during the war. And in Thailand, your father was not allowed to have his own land either. So when we came to America, he worked hard and finally got a piece of earth to call his own. That was amazing to him. And you grew up here, and you take it all for granted. But what I'm saying is, having his own land was like a miracle. It was his dream. And if a stubborn, difficult, hard-headed man like your father can achieve his dream, there's no reason the stubborn, difficult, hard-headed son of you <laughs> can't achieve yours either. I really thought you and dad would want me to do something else. Well, yes. Why not be a teacher or a doctor? But photography is not a bad thing, except for the part where you're poor and starving. <laughs> Did Dad really want to give his farm to me? No, it, no, it wouldn't work. I'm not a farmer. This place is the way it is because you and Dad worked so hard on it. It's beautiful, not because it's just a farm. It's our home. You raised a family here. You put everything you had into the land. I wish I could be a farmer for you. I wish I could love the land the way you do. I really wish I could keep it going. But I know it just wouldn't be the same with me. It makes me very sad to think that the farm might be gone in 15, 20 years. We can rent it out to other farmers who love farming like you. And, and that would be good for the land, but everything changes. Everything always changes. I know, I had a good life here and that's enough. I had a good life here too. Oh yeah, I remember when we brought the water guns to the farm. <laughs> but uncle shouldn't do this to you and dad he's been saving up for so long now now we have to wait another year the tractor would have made things easier I, I know it's not fair but a tractor is nothing compared to losing a home listen when your dad and uncle long were growing up yeah, I know, they were orphans, they were poor, they didn't have anything. And then, and then one day, your father's life was in danger, and your Uncle Long saved him. Really? Well, you know we fled Laos as war refugees. We had to go and live in Thailand, where the Thais put us into refugee camps. Your father and Long lived in Yangtao near Nanyao. It was not a nice place to live, because sometimes we had a lot of troubles with the Thai people, but we had no choice. One day, Dad and Long were working in the fields for this Thai farmer, he was a mean guy. He gave his field workers bad tools to work with. All the handles on the gardening holes were too short, so the workers had to crouch low to work. 
this hurts your back a lot, but it was also dangerous too because there were snakes that crawled around and if you bent too low, you could get um, bitten easily. So one day, Uncle Long was complaining about this to the farmer and so he gave Long and your dad the shortest hoe. And sh sure enough, later that day, your father came across the snake and almost got bitten. Uncle Long saved him. Long pushed him aside and hit, 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 hit the snake so hard with the hole. After that, the snake died. Long went to the Thai farmer and hit him across the head. He hit him so hard, the farmer fell down and died too. What? He got away with it somehow. The rest of the field workers never told the Thais what really happened. Uncle Long killed somebody? Yeah, because somebody was endangering your father's life, of course. He was very, very angry. Yeah. He's always been complicated. All the anger, the trouble he gets into even now. Your dad always worries about him. Look at yourself, Tang. You were born here, you speak the language, you've gone to school here. You will always be better off than long. You need to know that and act like you know that so your dad will stop worrying about you. Dad doesn't worry about me. He only worries about the farm. Your dad worries about everything. He worries about his family the most and this farm because of his family. It's the only reason a man will work so hard year after year. Mom, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I wish there was a drought again. The strawberries will rot, we will lose the last quarter of our profits. Maybe the rain will stop soon and it won't be so bad. Listen, I'm still not sure about Tang being a photographer. He will probably starve three days out of the week. What will he do if it doesn't work out? What if the, he changes his mind or what if someone tells him he's not good enough? Working with a camera? That is such an American thing to want. If there's anything we taught him, it's that he knows how to work hard. Growing up on a farm is not easy. And if he survived that, he can do bigger and better things. At least he's looking at our schools now, and some of his photographs are good. Has he shown you? Yes, he showed me one where uh, I look like a tiny grandma. He thought I was Looking good. I tell him I'm not that old. Yeah, Tang can be very annoying. <laughs> no! Dad! Dad! Did I get him? Then you'll be all wet too. He'll come back when he's ready. His feet must be hurting him. Mom, Mom, All the strawberry plants are destroyed. We've made it through most of the season already, but it is still a lot of money gone. I'm sorry. Nothing to do now but start clearing the fields again. And eat a lot of rice and whatever vegetables we can still save from the field. We've done this before. We've seen storms and bad heat and insects and plant disease that take down our crops. 
I will call the rest of the family. They'll come and help. It's not the end of the farm. I will call your brother and tell him the bad news. He will have to borrow money from our cousins instead. Come back inside and eat. We will start again soon enough. I wanted to be a farmer for the freedom, you know. I am my own master. I grow my own food, have my own business. I'm proud of it. But there is always something bad that comes with the good. We will help each other. That is what family is for. Ours to Lose was produced by the Valley Roots Project and Don Truck. It was directed by Rich Barnes, written by Yia Li, and acted by Fang Zhang, who played the father, Ka Wang, who played the mother, and Fu Chi Tao, who played the son, Tang. There are many parts of the play that I think are universal. The struggle for parents and children to understand each other, concern about the future of a family, or, as Don put it, all in all, with all the interviews we did with farmers throughout the Central Valley, not just the Hmong farmers, is this, this value for the amount of work that goes into even growing a single strawberry. It's hard won, the food on our plate, and we really take it for granted. But there are other pieces of the story that are clearly unique to the Hmong American farming experience. So I went to talk with Lillian Dao Chao Chai, a Hmong American woman who in some ways is living the story of the play. She grew up on her family's farm in Fresno, happens to be interested in photography. You can check out her photos of her farm on the Calag Roots Story Hub. They're beautiful. And she's uniquely positioned to talk about the experience now, since she's returned to the farm as an anthropologist to study the Hmong farming experience. So right now we're sitting underneath our treehouse um, at our 20-acre farm in Fresno, California. Uh, my parents' business is called GT Forests and Herbs. So in the summers, um, we would never have to sleep in. My siblings and I would trade off having to drive the tractor for my mom who would pick vegetables. Um, and so it would be in neutral and it would just be rolling along and we would be half asleep just trying to make sure it didn't fall out of the furrows. <laughs> that we didn't run anything over while my mom was filling up the wagon behind it. Hi, I'm Lillian Taosau Chai. I'm currently a graduate student in anthropology and I study Southeast Asian agriculture, um, but more specifically, uh, Hmong, the history of Hmong farmers in the valley. So Hmong Americans are an ethnic minority group from um, southern China, and they migrated into Southeast Asia. My family started in Laos maybe six, seven generations ago, uh, but in 1975, my parents left Southeast Asia because of the American Secret War. For background, Laos is a landlocked nation, um, and it's bordered by five countries. And so the Hmong lived along that route between um, Vietnam, Laos, and China. The Hmong have this legend that um, they once owned their own country and they had their own place, but they were displaced by the Han Chinese like thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, and so there's there are some stories that maybe the Hmong have originated out of Mongolia, maybe out of Eastern Europe because they used to be Western European or something. No one's really sure. Um, I think DNA testing says that the Hmong are basically like 98.9% the same as Han Chinese. But as, an anthropo as a cultural anthropologist, I was like, 
science is not everything. Science is not the catch-all. So biologically, genetically, they might be 99% the same, but culturally, they have been resisting each other for about at least a thousand years. Um, so around 1980-1985, a lot of Hmong refugee benefits start to expire, and so one way of getting on their feet because they didn't acclimate to large, like modern cities, was a lot of them um, heard about this possibility of farming in California in the Central Valley. And so, like many many other immigrants before them, the Hmong came to the Central Valley. Um, so California is already this hotbed of diversity, and then the Hmong joined them in 1980-1985. Despite California's increasingly like high land rental prices, Hmong farmers have found ways to rent out plots of land that are considered like unusable for like large-scale agriculture. I heard a story and I can't remember where it was from of like a strawberry patch growing underneath basically an underpass um, here in Fresno. farms are not like other farms. They're family-oriented in the sense that families both own and work them and provide most of the labor. But what's also different is that Hmong farmers came to the valley as immigrants who didn't just want to work on farms or work in agriculture, they wanted to be their own bosses. So no one sees Hmong American agriculture as innovative because it doesn't involve drones. It doesn't involve like pH testing and like soil samples. Um, but I think every day that a farmer manages to take a seed and put it in the soil and just add water, do you think that you can do that, just add water and get something that can be then used in like a multitude of culinary delights? I think that that counts as really scientific. The reality of agriculture is that it's very hard and it's very undervalued. Um, and I think my, my theory <laughs> for my dissertation is that agriculture, modern agriculture and ancient agriculture, they are all anti-capitalist. Especially these Hmong farmers, they combat capitalism every day. Um, there's also just a simple thing of they put capitalism on its head by like, if my sisters and I, we've joked about, if you think about the amount of time we spent on the farm, think about the number of hours we spent at the market, and we were simply paid a minimum wage like in the state of California, we'd be dramatically underpaid. <laughs> it's actually very depressing. <laughs> And so what I mean by agriculture is anti-capitalist um, is not that it's, it's backwards and it's a throwback, but that this cultivation of the land, the amount of energy you expend for the amount of benefit you get, um, it doesn't make sense in terms of dollars and nickels at the end of the day. Lillian, of course, doesn't mean that farming work isn't worth it. She's now devoting her intellectual life to studying it. Instead, she means the way we value things under capitalism doesn't capture farming's true worth, which is an idea worth thinking about. Anyway, after taking a whole lot of super interesting twists and turns, our conversation eventually circled back to the ours to lose story, which had some surprising parallels with Lillian's real life. I think there are definitely themes that ring true in the story with, I think, the everyday of like Hmong American farmers. Um, particularly this tension between the like the farming generation and the I want to be something else generation. <laughs> and so for the Hmong who have always been countryless and in a sense landless, um, farming is the only way to own or mark your place. Um, and so that's where I think there is a tension between the parental generation and the children who grow up assuming that, oh, I'm an American, I belong here. The parents are like, um, 
it's very easy to lose your place. Um, and so one of the ways in which to make sure you are not forgotten is to work the land. And if you work, then you must belong. Um, and so um, for a lot of Hmong American parents, it, they, they don't understand, like even me as a graduate student, they don't understand where the work is. <laughs> they can't see it. And so, I mean, if, if the main character is a photographer, the parents are like, is that, really, is that a hobby? Or is that going to provide for your family? They're really unsure of how the market economy like comes into this. But weirdly, Hmong agriculture is not about economy. It's about survival and sustainability um, and about making yourself. The Hmong are borderlands people and I think what they teach non-borderland people, nation state people, is that as much as we like to think there is distinctness, there is definitely um, a lot of like heterogeneity. Um, and so that's what it means to live this mixed culture life and to s not just straddle, but to live in that borderland, right? Um, and so the Hmong have done that all over the world. No matter where they've gone, they've managed to bring alive the borderland in the heart of the Central Valley. I love the way Lillian weaves together our last few podcasts about the borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley. In a way, today's episode is in direct conversation with our last podcast, number six, which was a conversation I had with farmer Mai Nguyen. Mai made a powerful comment that really stuck with me about the urgency of her work as a farmer in combating climate change. She said she has approximately 40 tries over about that many seasons to get things right. And that, she told us, was going to take a polyculture of many minds working together. In my view, we need borderlands and the people who are really good at navigating them because that's where there's a cultural equivalent to the ecological concept of the edge effect. In ecology, the richest places are where edges of environments come together, where rivers meet the ocean, where forests meet the meadow, where mountains meet the valleys. And the cultural edges of places like the Central Valley, I think, are exactly where we'll find the ideas and the innovations we need to move us into a farming future that we all want to live in. This planet really is ours to lose. Thanks for listening to Calag Roots podcast number seven. If you liked what you heard, you can check out other stories like this one and see images from borderlands of the San Joaquin Valley at www.agroots.org. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and a bunch of other places where you get podcasts. Please subscribe and leave us a review so others can find us. Next up is our second Digging Deep podcast, a conversation with the food movement leader on the front lines of California food work. This story was produced by the California Institute for Rural Studies, and I'm Ildi Carlisle Cummins, director of the Cal Ag Roots Project. Special thanks to the voices you heard here, including Janaki Jagannath, Don Truk, the Hours to Lose actors, Fuchi Tao, Ka Vang, and Fang Zhang, and Lillian Tao Chao Che. Thanks to Lillian for lending us the use of her beautiful farm photos. Don't miss those at agroots.org. Music throughout the episode was by Zylo Zaiko and Komiku, and the Calag Roots theme music is by Nangdo. A shout out to Calag Roots funders, including the Food and Farming Communications Fund and the 11th Hour Project. Thank you. <laughs>